We've been talking, of course, about being salt and light and uh, reflecting Jesus well. And uh, we talked about doing that in the workplace. We've talked about doing that in the home. And today we're going to talk about doing that, uh, being salt and light uh, with our neighbors. Now we're defining neighbors in a fairly loose way because we're also going to talk about different circles like friendship groups and uh, you know communities at large, etc. Um, but for the, the sake of easy communication, we're, we're creating some categories here. Um, but the truth is there's always going to be a lot of overlap, okay? Um, what we're referring to specifically for our purposes here as neighbors is those who are geographically close but relationally varied, okay? Uh, they, they, they might know you only by name or it could be somebody you've known since the second grade. Um, but the point is that they, they see you because you're, you're, you're close. They, they might live across the street um, or your, you know, your kids might play for the same basketball team. It's people that, that you see in the community. Uh, coworkers, of course, would, would fall into this category and there's some of that crossover. I just talked about some of that overlap. Uh, some of your friends you see, but we'll talk more about them uh, uh, next next week, because probably, like honestly, in this room, would constitute mostly mostly neighbors for all of us, right? Like people you see, but you might know their name, but you don't know too much about them. Probably no one in here is friends with every person in this room, even Mike Kaiser. <laughs> We're gonna bring Mike up in a little bit, but even Mike can't be seriously close friends with every single person, right? So what's What's the difference with this type of relationship, with this sphere of influence? Um, when, when you're at home, as Joshua said last week, uh, one, of the, one of the distinct things about being at home is you have, you have tons of power, you have tons of influence, especially if you're a parent, right? Uh, you can set the tone for yourself. You can set the tone for your entire home. Uh, you have tons of relational backgrounds uh, with the people that are there. There's built-in closeness in households that allow for, for instant, in-depth conversations or confrontations, right? Well, with your neighbors, you usually don't have that kind of equity. And, and that, that means the door for, for those kinds of things isn't usually instantly open. <laughs> it's just not. So you got to deal with that. Uh, with, with that uh, factor, it can, be, it can be tricky to know how to be salt and light with people that you don't just have an open door of conversation or open door into someone's life. People that you kind of know. That's what we're talking about. How do you be salt and light with people you only kind of know or maybe barely know? Jesus talked, of course, a lot about loving your neighbors. We talk a lot about that here, too. If you're tired of it, I promise you, after this series, we're going to keep on talking about it forever and ever. Um, <laughs> it's kind of one of the big two, love God, love your neighbors, so we're going to major on that here. Um, but the, the most famous place Jesus talked about neighbors is Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to read that from the New American Standard. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, 
You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself to Jesus, he said, who, who is my neighbor? <laughs> What's he really asking here? I was thinking about this. It really jumped out at me this week as I was preparing it. What he's really asking, I mean, Jesus tells him to love his neighbor. He says, okay, 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 but, 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 but who? Like, what he's really asking is, who do I have to love? <laughs> who are the people that I have to love? Okay, I will do that so long as you tell me what group we're talking about and I sign off on that. And Jesus, of course, responds with probably his most famous parable, maybe his second most famous parable of the story of the Good Samaritan. Now I could read that or I could tell that, but it's kind of a special day with my wife's last, you know, hurrah here. And, and, and about four years ago, uh, you know, she pulls all of us into her plans. Did you know that? Like, she gets to be our boss, and it's, she kind of loves it. Um, and she commissioned, she commissioned <laughs> a series of videos about four years ago of the parables of Jesus being told by our kids who acted them out on Wednesday night. So, I give you The Good Hippie. The Good Hippie, a new old parable from Christ Center Kids. Once upon a time, there was a traveler named Phil. Phil was walking from one side of Oregon to the other. But when he passed through Eugene, some crazy hooligans grabbed him, hit his head with a giant inflatable baseball bat, stole his knapsack, and honked his nose. Poor Phil, they had left him lying in the middle of the road with no money, no shoes, no doctor, and a hawk's nose. Fortunately, there was a pastor walking in his direction. He could help him, right? But he wouldn't do it. He was late to a meeting at the donut shop. So he told Phil, I'll pray for you, and left him there. Later on, Phil heard the unmistakable sound of a ukulele. It was Linda, the worship leader from the church by the river. But when she saw Phil's bare feet, she said, I would help you, but I think dirty feet are so yucky. Besides, I'm writing a song. And when she went away, Phil was all alone again. Then someone else came by. He was a crazy hippie from the hills. When he passed by Phil, he decided to help. He gave him some band-aids, loaned him his shoes, and took Phil to the doctor's office to get his nose unhawked. There, he told the doctor, please help this man. I'll pay for everything when I come back. Now, which one was Phil's real neighbor? The pastor, the worship leader, or the hippie? That's right, the hippie. Because neighbors aren't just people who go to church and smell nice and clean. No, our neighbors can be anyone, even those we might not like very much. And that is the story of the good hippie, the end. Where's Noah? Is he okay? Yeah, you're right. It's good to see you've recovered from that honked nose. So we were praying for you, bud. We were. Uh, <laughs> the story is so very recognizable. 
and, and you know, when we, when we talk about the Good Samaritan nowadays, we, we generally are referring to someone who helps a stranger in need, but man, it was so much deeper than that. The whole point of the story, of course, is that the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews back then. The, so, you know, the point was your neighbor could be anyone. That's the answer to your question, oh lawyer. Your neighbor, you, nobody gets exempt from that. You can't, you can't X somebody out of that category. It could be the one you least want to be your neighbor. Even your enemies. In other words, you don't get a pass. You have to love him too. But now look at the end of the exchange, okay? This, I don't know why this had never hit me like it did until I was looking over this this week. Um, Luke 10, 36 through 37, the very end, Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Notice he didn't say the Samaritan, by the way. Maybe it was just like words, you can't, he couldn't say it, you know. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. In other words, this. How do I love my neighbor? Show mercy to him. Do you see that? Who is my neighbor? Oh, that one who showed mercy. Okay, then go and show mercy. Jesus is telling you, how do you love your neighbor? You show, you show mercy. That is how. To who? Well, to everyone. <laughs> Even the ones you don't want to. Maybe especially the ones we don't want to. Uh, even the ones we might consider enemies. You remember James and John? I mean, you'd think of these as like, you know, these are, these are two of the big three here. They wanted to call down fire on the Samaritan village. And Jesus is like, no, we're not doing that, gents. We're not doing that. It is a profound thing for us as believers to embrace this ethic, to truly love our neighbors. And it's a profound thing right now because everyone's kind of obsessed with these ongoing wars in the culture, you know? Like there's this increasing pressure to pick up the sword and rally against the, you know, whatever. And insert whoever it is that you want to rally against. And in his day, Jesus, they all wanted him to do this. Do you remember this? They all wanted him to pick up the sword. Peter actually did. And he's like, no. No, Peter, do you still not get it? Jesus refused to pick up the sword. Instead, he picked up the towel. That is what he did. How do we be salt and light to our neighbor? We do it by showing mercy the way that Jesus did. Earlier this year, there was a, a young artist who put out a series of images online, and they became a great staging place for thousands of angry comments. <laughs> and uh, it was fascinating to watch. As it, and actually, I think they're still coming out. I think they're super interesting. You might have seen these. Um, the, her name is Jess. The artist, her name is Jess. Um, I, she hasn't put out her last name that I've seen. Um, she's, a, she's a young Catholic woman from New Zealand who is actually studying down in Bethel Reading, which I thought that was an interesting combination. Um, she said very clearly, she said, I am not making any political statements here whatsoever by these pictures. i just putting them out there. And uh, so I will, I will repeat that for myself. Um, there's no political statement here, so keep that in mind. I want you to look at the series of pictures that she put out. Tyler? Jesus washing the feet, a distracted person, an addict. Just let them go. 
What's brilliant about this series is the emotions they evoke in different ones of us. Because I don't know if you're like me. If you're like me, you're looking, you're going, oh, that's good, that's beautiful. Hey, wait a second. Okay, listen. Okay, but listen. Okay, all right, look. Like, uh, anybody else feel that? I'm not going to ask you which one, don't worry. Did anybody else feel that? I did, I, maybe I'm the only one that has to have his heart worked on here. But people that I talked to said the same thing. It was just like, oh my goodness, I was like right with it. And then I saw one, I'm like, why? Well, Jesus would want to sit down with that person first and make sure everybody around him knew that he didn't agree on a whole lot of what that person thinks. No. Okay, but, okay, okay, but now it's a little different now because, we get, no. Okay, but some people are enemies of God. I give you Judas Iscariot. Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot just hours before he went and did the deed. Can you imagine that? To be salt and light to people around us. Friends, there's no better way than to reflect the merciful heart of Jesus Christ. To pick up the towel and not the sword. This was the thing we as a pastoral staff and eldership had, had really felt the Lord speaking to us at the beginning of the summer was an emphasis on serving uh, through, through washing of, of feet. And of course, that's a metaphorical thing. It's not something we do that's usually a blessing to people randomly um, nowadays um, here. But back in the day, of course, it was a way to show hospitality and love to people. It was a deal. It was, very, it was still very intimate. And it was this, th this way of being a servant and showing value to people. And I think that is what Jesus is calling us to do. And by showing those images, you guys, I'm not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that ideas don't matter, or that movements don't matter, or that politics don't matter, or whatever it is. I'm, I simply want to show those images to say these people, famous people excluded, <laughs> these people are your neighbors. Every single one of them. They are your neighbors. They're the people you sit next to on the bleachers. They're the people you wave to as you go to work. They're the people whose hands you shake at the end of church service. Being salt and light to our neighbors doesn't mean correcting everyone in the public square. In fact, you probably don't have that kind of equity with people who are just your neighbors in the way that you're defining. You probably don't have that kind of equity. Maybe once in a while it's appropriate, and, but it's almost always ineffective. Being salt and light isn't about telling everyone in earshot that you're a Christian. Probably that will come. Hopefully that will come. Hopefully not when you're being a jerk. Like if you're driving like a maniac and cutting people off, I don't want you to have a fish on your car, guys. I don't. I don't want them to know that you go here and that you're, I, in that moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, love that. You know what I'm saying? I used to think that's what being a witness was. Hey, everybody, I'm a Christian. Okay, you know, that. Uh, that probably needs to come out at some point, but make sure you're acting like Jesus. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> but that's not what it means. Being salt and light is much more, I believe, about showing our value to people you don't know well in the same way that Jesus did with the spirit of invitation and the spirit of hospitality. 
invitation and hospitality. In Romans 12, uh, Paul said this, and I love this because it shows like a gamut of all kinds of uh, uh, things here. It's, he starts out, he said, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It goes back to what we've been saying. We have not been given the authority to curse, but to bless. We've been commissioned to bless, okay? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Oh, that's a very practical thing, isn't it? Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What a beautiful, practical, very short treatise on how to love your neighbor. Be at peace with all men. When they're celebrating, celebrate with them. When they're weeping, weep with them. Associate with them. Associate with the lowly. Be there. Bless and do not curse. That is our beautiful calling. And the thing is, you guys, as we do this, this is where that heart connection builds. This is where equity is gained. This is where we show them who Jesus Christ is. But even if we never get that opportunity to share the gospel, and hopefully we will, but even if we never, ever do, this shows them who Jesus is, and it opens up doorways in their heart that were not open before. It opens up softness and compassion in a way that, that, that probably wasn't there before. This is a beautiful call that we have that is so very doable. So very doable. Bless, be humble, associate with the lowly, respect what's right, respect people, be at peace. One of the things we're trying to do as we do this series is to highlight people uh, in this congregation who do this very well. Um, and one of the people that does it well, I've already mentioned his name, is Mike Kaiser. Mike, can you come on up here? Oh, I, got, I need a mic. <laughs> I need a mic. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Mike uh, probably uh, has, has met or knows more about majority of people. You, you know more people in this room than probably anyone else, I would imagine. And when we see somebody, uh, when you go to a restaurant in Junction City with this man, he will know the cook. He will know the server. He will know the people in the next booth and what they're talking about. It's really <laughs> remarkable. Um, I, I love the way this man rolls. He is a wonderful, wonderful neighbor. And uh, Mike, as we, were, uh, as we were talking, we were talking about how you like to show value to people. Um, like when you, first, when you first meet them or maybe even before you meet them. How do you do that? How do I do that? That's, that's a deeper question than we... Um, well, so no, nope, it's not. It's pretty much right what we talked about. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll go back. The, the simplest thing is just saying hi and, and asking a few questions, not, not trying to dive too deep right off the bat, but asking a few questions and just really, um, really from within me, understanding that this person has value and trying to find that value. Yeah, treating them with enough dignity and respect just the way Jesus did. <clears throat> well put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you, you mentioned to me, you said you approach this, especially as you're meeting new people, you approach this as I have something to give. Can you tell me about that? Well, as, as I was just thinking about it, like I grew up with a really big family and close, not immediate family, but my mom's family was very big and had lots of aunts and uncles and, and different people that really instilled a deep sense of value in who I was. They, you know, played with me as a kid, took me fishing, lots of stuff that I look back and I recognize, like they really instilled a deep sense of other people's value, giving of their time for me. Um, and so that's kind of where I think it really started. And so as you've sort of soaked that in, in your upbringing and, and from previous generations, you're coming with an understanding that even a little word I say to this person uh, can be a gift to them. That's what I see in you. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, it could be just simply hello or just noticing them in a simple way, saying hi. Maybe not knowing the depth of who they are, but beginning at that spot where I see you and I value you and it's not easy to get across in a simple upfront thing but eventually you get there and one of the things I've seen you do too as you as you meet a person for like the second or third time you you remember things about them like you're like oh man your your kid was you know had a broken arm how'd that how'd that turn out like how do you remember that uh well I cheat a little bit how <laughs> Um, I, I, I know my memory's not that great. I w for some reason, I remember faces. Like, I have a photographic memory for faces. I, I subbed for 10 years, and I always see a kid that I had at Willamette High School in a class one time. And if I talk to him at any, any amount at all, it's like there's an imprint in my memory of that face. And I'll know, oh, they were at Willamette High School. Um, but when it comes to remembering details, especially names, I usually ask my wife or Janelle or... But the biggest thing I do, after I get away from church, I will make some notes on my phone about, you know, what I learned that day about this person or that person, which, you know, I try not to make it creepy, but that's, <laughs> that's how I remember things of value of other people. It's okay. I think, I don't know about you guys, but I think that's really amazing. How many of you guys have trouble remembering things? I do. And, to, and what do we write down? We write down things on our calendar. We write down things that, that are important that we don't want to forget. So by doing that, I just think that's a beautiful way to show value. You're like, I don't want to forget that person's name. I don't want to forget that their kid has a broken arm. So I'm going to write these details down um, so that I can remember. I think that's beautiful. Don't you think that's beautiful? Yeah, they do too. See, they don't think it's creepy. <laughs> you have one other thing that I wanted you to mention. One of the things, I don't know how many uh, throughout the years, how many people you've helped to move. You're the all-star mover. You often pull teams together. Uh, and uh, why, do you, why is that important to you? Because I dislike moving. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer right there. <laughs> when there's a team of people, it makes it. I, I always have fun when I'm moving somebody else. When I'm moving myself, it's, it is H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> right? It's, it's Sorry, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> It is from the pit of hell, like to move by. You did it again! It wasn't me. This is not Christ-centered. This is not, this is Mike Kaiser. 
Uh, in my house, B-U-T-T -T was a four-letter oh. word, so like <laughs> I, I understand language. Okay, let's go back to the moving. Thank you. <laughs> Circle back. You hate it. We, we don't, nobody likes to move, so when you show up with a team to be able to move somebody else, it blesses them in a profound way. Yeah, and I, I, like I say, I've had, I always have fun doing it, unless it's the job is overwhelming. If there's not enough people, you know, it goes back to that thing where, man, this is way too hard. So if you have a good team of people, that's, that's fun. So I just think that's a profound way to wash people's feet, don't you? To help them move. What an awesome thing. You guys, this is a good, good neighbor, and I love this man, and I'm proud of the example he is. To me, he does this far better than I do, and, and to all of us. So can you give him a hand? Thanks, Mike. I have another friend who does this very well. Unfortunately, she couldn't be here on stage this morning. She may or may not be in this room, but don't search around, okay? Don't do it. And none. I asked her why being a good neighbor was so important to her and Paul. Because I don't know, you guys, I'm, we, we mention, I feel like we mention this quite often because they're just such rock stars at inviting people into their home. And they have the spirit of hospitality that is so, so strong and profound. So I asked her about it and we got some video. This is what she said. Um, I'd say when we got married a long time ago, um, it was something we talked about and wanted to be really intentional about. And at first it seemed kind of weird to people whenever we invite people over for dinner, right. like, cause our culture in general doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, and so it was just, it was just probably from the very beginning, it was intentionality. And then it just became something that we just do and much easier and, I want people just to feel at home when they come over. Okay. Uh, there is one couple we had over for dinner. Um, I, they were clients of mine, and we just headed off. And they're not, they're not Christian. We definitely don't believe the same politically, all those kind of, you know, all those issues. And came over, and they had dinner with us. And then as they were getting ready to leave, the husband, like, almost started crying. And he said... He said, I didn't know what to expect when we came over to your house, um, but I feel at home here. Mm. And, and I could tell that he wasn't sure because we may disagree on some things, like what would we talk about, or, but he at least felt at home. Uh, and um, we're still good friends with him now. So. That's very cool. You're doing this with people who don't know you that mm -hmm. well, and that's the interesting thing to me. Yeah. That you could reach out to, to people you don't know, you don't have a whole lot of equity with. Maybe you just met them on a Sunday or you, you know, had this conversation and you just say, come, come over. What, what's going through your mind there as you're, as you're doing that? Why do you do that? Um, I guess my heart, my, my heart behind it is I, I really want people to feel seen. And I think when you invite them into your home, when you create a meal, it, and it doesn't have to be fancy, just create a meal for them, I think that person feels seen and valued. And it's also a way to graft them in mm. to either our church family or when we've had like clients over for dinner, um, they just become part of my community. Mm. Okay, yes, so isn't that cool? There's more. There's more. Hold on. There's more. 
Another thing I love about the way that Anne rolls, I'm going to put Paul into this too, but let's face it, it's mostly Anne, um, <laughs> is that when there is a meal train online, Anne is on it. And she's probably rallying other people on it. I don't know how many of you guys have done the meal train thing, but it's, it's, a, it's one of the great redeeming things about Facebook. <laughs> meal trades, wonderful thing. You can say, hey, this person's in need, this person's sick, somebody just, somebody just passed away, somebody is going through surgery, whatever it is. Let's help them and let's love them and let's show up by making a meal. And because this, again, is something that she's so very good at, I asked Anne about this as well. Meal trains is also an important mm -hmm. thing that you do because obviously you can't always have everybody over. Mm -hmm. But we see meal trains pop up on Facebook often. Or here, bring a meal to this family. Mm -hmm. Bring a meal to this family. You you are always on the meal trains, and you're a real champion of meal trains, sharing them, getting people, texting people, say, hey, these guys need a meal. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important to you? Um, I think that's an even easier way to to reach out to someone and. I think whenever we reach out in those times, we're letting someone know that they're, that they're seen, that whatever they're going through during that time, we want to partner with them. Mm -hmm. And it's such an easy thing to bring a meal and to help them further feel like they're also grafted into our, into our community family. This philosophy even goes back to like the early church. Mm -hmm. I know you were telling me you had read some on how the early church operated in this regard. Yeah, it was. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a loose comparison, but it's and the early church they would meet in homes, right. and they would break and they would and they would have them they would have a meal and they have communion together, but the way they would feel connected because they were pretty disjointed in that first century. The way they feel connected was they would pass the communion bread that wasn't used to another church, you know, within someone's home, and that wasn't just we're sharing our bread. It was a way to feel connected, hmm. and when I read that, I thought. That's how us in our own cultural river can do this 2,000 years later. We can make something in our kitchen and we can bring it to their home or we can make some in their kitchen and they can come into our home. Um, so you've given out a lot in this way, but you've also received. Mm -hmm. like, how, what, give me an example of that. Um, well, when we had COVID twice, JD and Chandra brought us meals and they just texted us and said, we're bringing you meals. So they didn't give you an option? No, they didn't give and an option. And this is just like you like to... Yeah. It was, I felt totally blessed and totally seen. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Is that okay? That's great. All right. Thank you. Are you going to put... Was that okay? <laughs> oh, I forgot to edit that last part out. You guys know Paul and Ann and what a blessing they are in that regard. Thank you guys, thank you Anne for doing that. I know it's not your favorite thing, but yeah. You guys model that so well, so beautifully as a way to pull people in, to help them to be grafted in. And I think that's absolutely the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's really what we're calling you to. Loving your neighbor really isn't usually a very heavy thing at all actually. It's really just using that spirit of invitation and hospitality, and acting in mercy. I'm going to close on this. It was, uh, I think on Monday, it was the, the uh, feast day of uh, St. Francis. And I uh, just want to read the, the, the prayer that's often attributed to, to him, the prayer of St. Francis. And it's this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. 
Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. Oh, Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that I receive. It is in self-forgetting that I find. It is in pardoning that I am pardoned. And in dying that I am raised to eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? The one that jumped out to me, someone else told me this too, the one that jumped out to me was the goal is not to be understood, but to understand. Lord, help me not seek so much to be understood, but to understand others. That is the thing I think that so many people's longing, just please hear me, please hear my heart, please, and to give them an opportunity to share that, for us to give them that gift of them being understood is a profound and powerful thing that shows the way of Jesus. You guys want to reflect Jesus well to our neighbors? I do. Let's stand. Can we have the elders and home group leaders come, come forward? <clears throat> I want to invite you this morning um, to, uh, uh, to come receive prayer. If you just need some, you, you, you need some extra grace for loving your neighbors, um, whatever that looks like. We want to be here to, to be able to pray blessing over you. Maybe there is a uh, conflict you're having with an actual, like, physical neighbor. Maybe there are people in your life who are being exceptionally difficult right now, and you don't quite know how to love them. Or maybe you just have a bad attitude toward them, and you just need God to do something in your heart. Whatever it is, whatever it is, maybe you need a spirit of boldness. I want to invite you to come forward, because this is a very practical series, as you see what we're doing. We want to learn and to have those impartations, that God would begin to build these things up more and more, that we can be salt and light. Amen? So, Lord, I pray for that spirit of boldness. I pray for that spirit, that, that Holy Spirit of invitation uh, to be upon each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would make us instruments of your peace. Instruments of your peace. Thank you, Jesus, for showing the way.